talking to myself, and this is how I said, I said, dummy, you had a great year. 49 is good. Quit punishing yourself. Just go out there and do what you can do. Howdy and welcome to episode two of the Pioneer League podcast. I'm your host, David Graff. Excited to share this interview with Greg Vaughn, who was a member of the 1986 Helena Gold Sox. And then he went on to a 15-year career in Major League Baseball and made four all-star teams as well. This was a really exciting interview for me personally because I love Greg Vaughn. I loved watching him play. I loved collecting his cards growing up. I love playing in video games with Greg Vaughn as a kid. And Greg Vaughn is just a really good guy, honestly. He's doing some amazing things in his community in Sacramento during these crazy times that the world is in right now. So it was really exciting to spend some time with him talking about his experience playing baseball in Helena, Montana, and just his baseball career overall. So I'm really excited for you guys to hear this interview with Greg Vaughn. He talks about some really cool things about his experience playing in Helena. He was actually drafted in the Major League Baseball draft five times, which is kind of crazy. And I tried to look up how many other guys have been drafted that many times, but I couldn't find anything specific. So I'm just going to say that's very unique. That's certainly not normal. And, and I don't even think it's possible to get drafted that many times anymore. So I won't take up any more of your time here in this intro and I'll just let 1986 Helena Goldsock and four time MLB all-star Greg Vaughn steal the show. I'm joined now by a 15-year Major League Baseball veteran and a four-time All-Star, but most importantly for this, a former Helena Gold Sox, Greg Vaughn. Greg, how's it going today? Hey, David. It's going good, man. Thank you. I just got through with a news conference with, you know, the the COVID-19. You know, my foundation is uh, giving meals to first responders and frontliners and seniors but also uh, my company, Restore Cryo Physical Therapy. We give immune system IVs to first responders and frontliners also. Yeah, so let's start there. What made you want to get into that and do those things for your community? Well, I've always been a community guy. You know, I, I believe it takes a village to raise a kid, a uh, child. You know, you know, so many hands. Uh, influence and play a part in a person's development. So for me, it was, uh, you know, I'm proud to be from Sacramento. I'm proud to be from California. And this is my community. And I had the foundation for years. So the foundation, you know, you know, we, uh, we mentor, we, uh, we go out and do anything basically the community needs. But both, basically it was about scholarship programs to non-athletes to, low-income families to help these kids uh, be able to have a start and a future in college because, you know, I, I didn't want to give it to the athlete that had the scholarship. I wanted to give it to kids that didn't play sports to give them the same opportunity. That's very cool and certainly very generous of you. Going off that athlete idea, what 
when was your first introduction to baseball as a kid growing up in Sacramento? Oh, shoot. I probably three, four, five, you know, with cousins that played, you know, in the minor league system and in the, uh, in the MLB, you know, and, and coming from uh, a long list of female athletes that were big in the sport. Sports are always big in our family. What other sports did you play growing up as a kid? I played them all. We played basketball. You played baseball. You played uh, uh, football. I, I mean, we played every sport, every single day, all day long. We were, you know, society is sort of terrible now. You know, our kids, we can't just let them outside because of the way society is, you know, and uh, whether they're male or female. Uh, so, but, you know, I grew up in a time that I wouldn't trade for anything in the world. You know, we, we got in trouble in the summertime. It was basically stay out until the street lights came on. You know what I mean? Stay outside, play. And that's how you learn how to play because, you know, you had to figure it out. If you don't want to be the last pick and, you know, there's nothing you – were, you weren't prouder than being the guy in your neighborhood. You know what I mean? So you figured out how to be good. And without coaching and adult supervision, you know, we, we, we just had to figure things out. Yeah, I know what you mean. Being the last pick when you're in the neighborhood, that was social suicide, if you would. He has to speak, unfortunately, right? Yeah, it's. Uh, thankfully, I, I was out there. I, I was. I don't remember any time being the last pick, but I, there was a little part of me that felt bad if somebody was that last pick. You know what I mean? I think at that age, you do, you do feel you know you do have some compassion, but you know at that you know as kids, you know we could all be a little bit. Uh, selfish in a way that, well, I'm glad it's not me, and play better. You know what I mean? Uh, but, you know, th- you know, competing, we learned competition early at an early age back then. People wanted to win, you know? So, you know, pretty soon those last picks became first and second, third picks because, you know, they got better. That makes sense. That competitive spirit drove you. You started playing baseball at Sacramento City College, and then you transferred to Miami. What was your college baseball experience like? That's kind of a an odd jump to go from Northern California all the way to South Florida. Yeah, it was it was a big jump for me. It was, uh, but I was a football player. The only reason I played baseball is because they said I was, I was a better football player and I should play football, not baseball. So I flipped the script because I signed to go play baseball. Uh, football and baseball at Washington out of high school and I decided I wanted to play just uh, baseball in college because uh, I'm a, I like proving people wrong. I don't like people to tell me what I can do and can't do. So you played baseball just to spite people is what you're telling me. Yes, I did play baseball just to spite people. <laughs> That's pretty amazing. It worked out for you, I must say. Yeah, yeah. It, well, and, and plus I, I like baseball, but you know, you know, I was an aggressive football player, and I, I had I had offers to everywhere. You know, so in, in football, so it was sort of why, why are you doing this? What are you doing? And I was like, you know what? I don't like anyone to tell me what I can do. I try to take a negative and turn it into a positive, and that's what I try to preach to my kids and my the kids that I try to mentor or that are in my foundation. That uh, you know, it, it's easy to feel sorry for yourself. It's easy to play victim, you, you know, but it's also, you take the bull by the horns, 
and you go out there and prove them wrong. You know what I mean? You, you, just because you come from a single parent or a divorced home or you come from, you know, yeah, your resources might be limited. You might not have the same opportunities, but, you know, we live in the best country in the world. There, there are ways to make things happen. It's a little tougher, but tougher is what builds character. Absolutely. What position did you play in football? I was a running back and a uh, safety. So which one were you going to go to play at, at Washington? I probably would have been uh, – I was going to be a safety because I like hitting more than I like getting hit. <laughs> That's pretty funny. That's pretty funny how you liked hitting there and you also liked hitting in baseball. So you were drafted five times, which I was trying to find out how many people – had also been drafted five times in the Major League Baseball draft. Can you explain why why the fifth time actually stuck? Yeah, it's funny. Someone just asked me that question the other day, and I was, uh, you know, but I, which I try to tell my son, like my youngest one went from California to the East Coast to play baseball because he wanted to sign on the first day. And for me, being a football player, you know, it was a, part of it was the commitment from the organization. And at the time, I think I won back-to-back being the youngest player in the Cape Cod League. I won MVP, you know, first year with the Wood Bat, player of the year, my two years in Cape Cod. And uh, I just didn't feel like the organization really wanted to reward me, so to speak, you know, as a first-round pick. I think I was picked in the first round four times. <laughs> so it was it was a situation where – I really didn't feel I was ready. And I wasn't going to make a decision just to make a decision. I had to be ready, and I had to be confident that I was capable of going and competing because some of my heroes that I grew up watching were in my neighborhood. And when I came home, when I seen them get sent home, and I seen them get released, and I seen all the things that happened to them, I knew it could happen to me also. So I wanted to be prepared. I wanted to, you know, I wasn't going to do anything just because I had the opportunity, if that makes sense. It had to be the right situation, the right time, and I wasn't going to sign just to sign. That makes sense. So you decided it was the right situation and the right time in 1986 when the Brewers drafted you fourth overall, and then they sent you to Helena in Montana. What was that (laughs) transition like? (laughs) Cold. It was cold. <laughs> I remember <laughs> me and Gary Sheffield, because he was going to come to the University of Miami. You know, it's still one of my best friends. And it's uh, it was really, really a situation where it, it wasn't, it, it, was, it was unique. The people embraced us, but it was cold. There was really not a lot of places to go, a lot of things to do. Was it Jack's or something? Something I remember going upstairs. Uh, but that draft class was tremendous. You know, the, all the people that made it to the big leagues off of that team, myself, Dale Hamilton, rest in peace, you know, Gary Sheffield. You know, we we bought a, we bought a $500 station wagon that we left there and donated to the city or to the club for the next year's draft. Got a one-bedroom apartment with five of us. And me and Gary were like the Gary's like the second pick, and I'm the fourth pick, and we just, you know, five of us lived there. George Canale, who made it to the big leagues, you know. And then that, 
we just John Dahl was in high school then. Uh, I mean, he came out of high school. I came out of college. Chef came out of college. It was it was just a very very talented roster, and we we boat raced teams. You know, they, the people came out to see us play. The scenery was awesome. I'm a fisherman, but I'm not a hunter. And, you know, it's part of the country that I want to go back to. And I'm an avid golfer, and I want to go back to and enjoy some of the things that I didn't get to enjoy. But I know there's sometimes we got snowed out. We got, you know, I wasn't used to that. That wind came through there at minus whatever it was. It was like, are you kidding me right now? I've never experienced anything like that in my life. Yeah, I'm sure that was quite the shock going from California and Southern Florida to Montana. I, <laughs> I'm still laughing at, at how how cold you thought it was because it's definitely cold, especially still cold in the summertime up here. What what yeah, was? Yeah, that's what I mean. It's the middle of the summer. Yeah, and it, it like it might snow. I uh, I actually yeah. went. I went to the University of Wyoming for my undergrad. And on my first day in my first class, it's August 31st. And the professor goes, enjoy this weather because the only, only month that I've lived here in 50 years that it's never snowed in was August. I'm looking around like, holy crap, what did I get myself into? Yeah, but you know what? I met some of the nicest people, uh, and once you, you, you know, you figure it out and you get to uh, figure out your way around. And I think, what was the name of the one place we were? Uh, Jack's, I think. Uh, yeah, I mean, I'm trying to remember names. You know, I remember getting old now. It sort of sucks because I, I tend to forget things. Uh, but, but like I said, the, the food was good. The people were amazing. And like I said, we had a great team, so we actually, I think, drew pretty good. And I think we won the, I think we won our division, our league by like twenty some games. We we were that talented. I can imagine with you and Gary Sheffield on the same team. What was it like playing with a guy who was that good at seventeen years old? Until this day, he's, he's one of my top five players I've ever played with. You know, talent wise, and to be at that age. And to be that mature, but at the same time, you know, not to have the you know the college experience or the life experience that was a little more. I don't want to say difficult is the right word, but it was it, the adjustment was a little different. You know, not to see the things that you know me being twenty has seen, and he's seventeen, and then at nineteen he's you know he's in the big leagues, and that you know. 21, 22, I'm in the big league. So we were roommates again, you know. But like I said, you had Tony Clark, you had, you know, Isaiah Clark. You had uh, George Canale. You had myself. You had Daryl Hamilton. I mean, I'm telling you, we were loaded. Yeah, that's like big league all-star team almost, you know, in your first year in professional baseball. What was it like after that first off season? you know, you come home, you're finally a pro. What was the preparation, and did anything change for you? No, yeah. You know, my, my dream was never just to get drafted. My dream was to go to the big leagues and be in the big leagues. So I, I figured I had to outwork. If if the big leaguers were hitting, I should have been hitting a month earlier. 
And I was early enough to get with a guy named Al Bianchini, who was a King's strength conditioning coach. So I worked out at Arco Arena stairs and did stuff. And then went to Sac City and hit and went through their practices. And I was not going to be outworked. And like I said, I still had that chip on my shoulder that people didn't believe in me. Oh, you should have picked football. This is bad to say. And I, I think I played baseball. Like I wasn't the most graceful, or I didn't have a King Griffey beautiful swing. I played it aggressive. I played it hard. And I think I went to the right organization because I had Robin Young, who was my locker mate. At, you know, they put me next to Robin, who's like a big brother to me, and still very close to me. At twenty-two, you know, you have Paulie, you have Jim Ganter, you have Glenn Bragg, Mike Felder. So you had so many guys. And everyone was held accountable. There was only one way to play, and everything else was wrong. Those are good mentors to have. I mean, it obviously paid off for you. You won two different MVP awards on your way to the major leagues, and you got called up in 1989, and it's stuck. You never went back down. What were the emotions when you finally reached the big leagues? I think, you know, emotionally, I – you know, you get in your car, you try to play it off, the manager calls you, you know, you let it out. You, all your hard work and your dreams finally came true to live them, and uh, it's very emotional, you know, so I had to let it out. And at the same time, you're friends with people, and as you're coming up, people are going down, and that sucks, but, you know, it's a business, and... You know, like I said, for me, it was uh, a situation where I did not, I did not want to have one of those roller coaster ride type of careers. I wanted to go, and I wanted to stick, and I wanted to make an impact, and I wanted to be the best player in the world or be the best player Greg Vaughn could be. Well, you certainly were for the Brewers. You had quite a run there, and in 1993, you made your first All Star team. What was it like? to finally be named an all-star and see some of that hard work get recognized? Well, once again, you know, there's emotions that you're being up there recognized with your peers as one of the best players in the game. And, uh, you know, you're going there, you're walking there in an awe, you know, because, you know, you got to, at the time you got all the Yankees and you got, you know, you got the guys from Detroit and the Red Sox and you have all these legends that you're playing against, but to be recognized as one of their peers and then, treating you as equal. Uh, like I said, it's a feeling that you'll never, ever forget. And it's also a, a, a feeling of I belong. That feeling, did did it kind of let that chip come off your shoulder or was it still there? No, you have, you have to play for something every day. Like I said, I got to the ballpark about 2 o'clock every day. And by game time, because I didn't like to rush for anything, so I took my time as I got prepared or ready to play. And remember, I was a football player, so me getting ready to play, it took some time because, you know, you go from joking around, telling jokes to, you know, I got to go out here and compete for my livelihood. You know what I mean? Everyone doesn't get to stay here. Everyone doesn't get to just be in the big leagues for 15 years. You have to go out there every single day and prove it and work on it and, and grind. So that chip never went away. It started too towards the end of my career because I had so many shoulder surgeries and I was limited to just being a DH 
something that I hated, but at the same time, in the American League, it kept me on the field. But I was never a good DH because I needed to run around. I needed to express myself and let it out. So it was a situation where, as I got older and the injuries, I don't want to say continued to grow, but they continued to become more serious where, you know, I need shoulder replacement now. You know, you can't, you know, don't play until opening day. Don't play until opening day. And, you know, I have surgery the first day after the season was over. I, I, I couldn't wait to opening day. I'd be out there and probably wasn't the best decision for me. But at the time it was. I didn't, I didn't want my job to be taken, for one. Two, I did not. I enjoyed playing. But, you know, sometimes injured and hurt are different. You can play hurt. Injured when you're coming off shaved bone, rotator cuff, torn labrum, and you have that surgery three years in a row, and then you end up having two more of them, and then you can't throw the ball to the shortstop, and you can't get extension, and, you know, it, it hinders your career. You know, but it's, you know what? It, it's part of it. And I wouldn't trade it for anything in the world, and that's just me being – Blunt and, and, and Frank, that I am, I am that guy that wanted to be on the field. I don't think my teammates liked me when I sat on the bench. The coaches didn't like me when I was wasn't playing. The clubhouse guys didn't like me. I had to be on the field. Well, I'd be remiss if I didn't talk about when you were on the field and you pretty much dominated. I mean, the best year of your career in 1998. You have 50 homers. You're an all-star. You win the NL Comeback Player of the Year award. What helped you get in that kind of groove that year? What was it that made you say, like, I'm going to go out here and have the best year of my career? I, I think everything just sort of messed. You know, you know, I was able to slow everything down. You know, the balls you fouled off or the balls that didn't find holes, found holes. It was a situation where everything just sort of uh, worked out. And, you know, I worked with Tony Gwynn, you know, when I got traded to San Diego every single day. Kept it simple. But the first year I got there, you know, I'm used to playing every day. You know, they had Ricky Henderson, who's one of my best friends, and actually lived in my guest house in San Diego. We we were platooning, but Bochy did a great job because he told us the truth. And you can always expect the truth. You don't have to like it. So me and Ricky had no problem. We played cards every day together. We ate together. And... Uh, but I've never had that role. I was never one of those guys that could come off the bench or, you know, I had to learn to do that. It was different. You know, when you get four bats, you get to sort of fill it out. But when you're coming off the bench, and for me, in the, in the National League, which I love is, you don't get a full day off. So it's, they're coming off the bench, but for me, they're not going to use me in the fifth or the sixth inning. They use me in the ninth or the eighth to tie the score or to go up, you know, so it was, I can, you know, in the beginning it was hard. I took pitches, treated like it was a regular bat and figured out that, Hey, you can't do that. You need to go out here and swing it and, and get loose. The first swing is to get loose. And after that, it's just great. You know what I mean? You, you just try to square one up and hopefully it works out. Yeah, no doubt. No doubt. You hit 50 homers in 1998, which might be the, 
the quietest 50 homer season ever, considering that was also the same year that Sammy Sosa and Mark McGuire had their chase for the record. Do any home runs during that season stand out in particular to you? The last one of the year, I, I was stuck on 49 for a month and a half. And I finally went and I went in the dug, I went in the tunnel. It was the last bat of the year. Both said, "Hey, you want it off?" You know, I said, "No." I said, "No, I'm I'm good." But I went in the tunnel before that, and I was like, "Hey, uh, talking to myself." And this is how I said, "I said, dummy, you had a great year. 49 is good. Quit punishing yourself. Just go out there and do what you can do." And O two last at bat of the year, I hit number last at bat eighth inning to put us up to win, and then my team they wanted it just as much as I did. They ran out there like it was a little league world series, and uh, it was uh, it was something that I'll, I'll never forget. But also, you know, hitting two home runs in game one of the world series, hit a couple off Randy Johnson in the playoffs. So that year, like I said, everything just added up, and it, it worked out good. I want to ask you about that that home that. run in the playoffs off Randy Johnson. You guys are in the playoffs. It's Randy Johnson. He's having one of the best stretches of his career when he came over to the Astros. What's going through your mind when you're facing a guy like that in that situation? Same thing that went to my mind every single time I faced anybody. Square him up. Get a pitch up and and don't miss it. And I think I got three hits that day. So it was a situation where, you know, like I said, the, the stars were aligned and everything just happened to work out. Well, Greg, I'll, I'll wrap it up here. I really appreciate your time. Thank you for giving me so much of it. I know you're doing all these other things in the community and you're making a huge impact there in Sacramento. What else are you up to nowadays? Well, like I said, for me, I opened up a, a cryo physical uh, cryo uh, wellness centers. I have two going in Vegas. I have one here in Sacramento. You know, it's it's basically bringing the treatment and the care to the general public that athletes get. You know, with the cryo machines and the facials, and also the beauty essentials for the ladies, as far as like, you know, the, the you know the uh, the aesthetics of the red light treatment, ultraviolet, you know, with the dead skin, transforming your body over, IVs. Christian McCaffrey's one of my biggest, biggest clients in uh, Carolina. We have a, a concierge service. You know, it's just one of those things where, you know, we, uh, we you know, we're just trying to get bring what we do. And I love health and wellness. So it's something that I'm passionate about but to bring it to the public and allow them to be able to uh, experience what athletes do. That sounds like a lot of fun. Well, I really appreciate your time, Greg. Thank you so much, and uh, have a good one. All right, you have a great weekend, too. Thank you so much. Tell the people back there in Helena, I said hello. I mean, there was a start to a great beginning and uh, something I'll never forget and cherish. Thank you. Man, I hope you guys enjoyed that interview with Greg Vaughn. He was so generous with his time. Honestly, I loved it. He squeezed me in there. He's doing a lot of great things for his community as well during all of these COVID-19, self-quarantine, everything that's going on in the world right now. He's a light 
in his community in Sacramento. So I want to just shout him out for that and thank you for spending some time with me talking about 1986 and playing baseball in Helena, Montana. So I really appreciate him fitting me in there into his busy schedule. And for honestly, he spent quite a bit of time talking to me and it's just, it was an absolute pleasure getting to interview him. So I, I'm really grateful for that. And I, I hope you guys enjoyed this episode, this interview with Greg Vaughn next week. Tuesday, July 7th, Sean Tollison, who played for the Ogden Raptors in 2010, will be my guest. He also had a five-year MLB career with the Los Angeles Dodgers and the Texas Rangers. The Rangers are his hometown team. That's where he's living now as well. So it was really fun to talk to him about his time. He played in some crazy crazy games in major league baseball so we got into those as well really excited for you guys to check that episode out next week tuesday july 7th so please rate review subscribe to the podcast wherever you enjoy listening to podcasts that way the podcast just comes to you You don't have to go out and find it it just arrives it shows up in your inbox so please do that That way, less work for you and a little bit less work for me. Also, if you feel so inclined, hit that link in the description. Throw a few shekels my way. That would be very kind of you. There are no advertisers on this podcast. Just hoping that the listeners love what they're hearing and are happy to support. So, really appreciate everybody that's supported the podcast so far, who's donated And all of the subscribers, please, please keep it up. I'm loving all of this support. Before I go, just a reminder, next week, Tuesday, July 7th, an episode with Sean Tolleson, former Los Angeles Dodger and Texas Ranger, and he got his start in professional baseball with the Ogden Raptors in 2010. It was an absolute treat talking to him, so I can't wait for you guys to listen to that episode. As well, next week on Thursday will be Mr. Osprey, Lyle Overbay himself. He comes in. He joins me on the podcast. Really excited for you guys to check out that episode as well. So next week, check your podcast feed again. Listen again. Sean Tollison and Lyle Overbay will be the ones joining me on the Pioneer League podcast. Once again, I want to thank Greg Vaughn for his time and for being so generous with it. also want to say how inspiring it is to see what he is doing for the community of Sacramento. It's amazing. If you want to see it and know more about it, go check out Greg Vaughn on Twitter and Instagram. At GregVaughn23 is his handle, so you can see what he's up to. Also, shout out to my friend Turn Kenny on the music. Really appreciate him as always. Please enjoy this 4th of July holiday weekend. Don't crack too many cold ones. Don't miss baseball too much. And we'll be back next week with two more fantastic episodes on the Pioneer League podcast. <laughs>